Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. We've been in a series the last couple of weeks for quite a while actually called The Blessed Life, How Jesus Defines Happiness, and we've been uh, focused on the Beatitudes, and we're actually going to do something we've never done before. We're going to put that series on pause. It's like if you're watching a, uh, a show that you like, and, and the season ends, and then you got to wait. I don't know. We're going to put it on pause, and we're going to revisit that next month, uh, and we're going to go into a new series this weekend that we're calling Jonah Rebel with a Cause, and we'll talk about that tonight. We're going to Focus on one chapter every week, so it's going to be a four-week series, and then you heard a little bit in church news about this November 5th and 6th weekend. Uh, Our series is going to culminate in this weekend, a special illustrated interactive weekend that we're calling Fish Food, and we'll explain that a little bit more uh, over the coming weeks, but you won't want to miss that. And One of the reasons that um, I feel prompted by the Lord to focus on the book of Jonah right now is because I'm praying that God will speak to us individually about his great love and mercy. And uh, also, not just for ourselves, but that our heart for all people will grow and will increase. Uh, And that we'll see people the way that God does, especially unbelievers, by the way. People who are lost, people who don't know the love and mercy of the Lord. And so I pray that God would change our hearts to reach people like never before. In fact, let's take a moment and pray right now. If, if you would, would you join me? And Lord, we just pray tonight that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would change our hearts and give us a fresh revelation of the, the depth, the, the greatness of your love and your mercy towards us. And in fact, would you go out and pray for me? We haven't done this for a while, but I think I need some prayer. So would you pray for your pastor right now? Take a moment. You gotta do it out loud though, by the way. Means I gotta hear some murmuring or something. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Amen, Lord. We receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, I received confirmation this morning that this is definitely the series that we need to be in. Uh, confirmation from the Lord. To quote the the theologian and rapper DMX, Lord, give me a sign. Uh, this is this is why so y'all don't know DMX. All right, that's all right. Put this up right here. Here we go. This is uh, my daily devotional calendar. You might be a redneck if you think the Impossible Whopper is a record-breaking fish. As Jeff Foxworthy says, "If I'm lying, I'm dying." So, anyways, that's how I knew that God wanted me to preach this message uh, and start this series. And some of you still aren't laughing, so. Here's a joke, whether you want it or not. Here, get ready, ready or not, here it comes. A little girl was drawing a picture of Jonah inside the whale in her class, and her teacher asked her, what's that? It's Jonah inside the belly of the whale from the Bible, she replied. The teacher, who was an atheist, told her, you know that didn't really happen. She kept drawing and said, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah. Well, what if he's not in heaven, the teacher replied. And the girl, without looking up and still drawing, said, then you can ask him. <laughs> okay, I got a little chuckle from that. So sometimes I got to work a little harder for Saturday nights, right, Pastor Judy? 
Turn with me to the book of Jonah, if you would, in your Bible in the Old Testament. You'll, I'll leave my Bible right here. It's all in my notes, but you can turn with me. In fact, you should turn with me tonight because we're gonna go verse by verse uh, in, in this series, and certainly tonight. Jonah is a prophet in Israel around 750 B.C. before Christ, and, and as a prophet, the job of any prophet was to hear the word of the Lord, hear from God, and then speak to God's people or the people that God would send you to. And so Joseph, or excuse me, Jonah is a prophet and he's considered what's called a minor prophet and not minor in the sense that he's less important, but just because those minor prophets are shorter books. This is only four chapters long and we're gonna break tonight this this chapter and this message kind of down, uh, we're gonna break it down in about three sections, all right? So Here we go, Jonah chapter one, verse one. We're gonna put it on the screen. I'm gonna read out of the New King James. And let's all read this first verse together. Ready, go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, or we'll stop there. I first wanna talk about when God asked me to do something. When God asked me to do something, number one is this. When God asked me to do something, it always aligns with his word, which is the Bible. The question, men and women, is not, is not, does God speak? The question is, am I listening? Because God does speak. He is speaking, and he does still speak today. He speaks to us in many different ways. He speaks to us through pastors and preachers. It's one of the reasons that we gather every Saturday night on the weekends and worship the Lord, we, to hear the word of the Lord. He speaks to us, of course, through other believers, other Christians. Look, look my friend John Boulevard teaches the, the precepts class and teaches you how to read, read the Bible. He speaks to us through other believers. He speaks to us through circumstances. He can speak, speak to us through visions and dreams. He speaks to us through his voice, through the Holy Spirit, in our hearts, in our minds. He speaks to us, of course, through our daily time with him, our devotional time, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, your daily time with the Lord in prayer and the Bible. And apparently he even speaks to us through redneck calendars. Come on, somebody. Anything God speaks to us will always, always, always line up, align with his word. God never contradicts himself. Verse two, arise, God says. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Everybody say Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, that great city and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Number two, when God asks me to do something, it will require faith. It will require faith. Nineveh, at this time, around 750 BC, Nineveh was the largest, most influential, most magnificent city in the world. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It had large boulevards, it had huge temples, it had great architecture, it had parks. It was an incredibly beautiful city, but Nineveh was also an incredibly incredibly cruel city as well. The Assyrians were notorious. They were infamous for being mean, and barbaric, and evil, and wicked. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. They were the Nazis of their age. Uh, I won't take time, we got little kids in here, I won't get too graphic, but everywhere they went, they destroyed everything, and tortured, and murdered, and killed everybody. They would 
display your body or your head of the heads of their enemies on display to, as a warning to everybody else. They were, they were bad, wicked people. And God asked Jonah to do something that requires a lot of faith. First of all, because Jonah's not a city dweller. Jonah is from an itty-bitty, teeny, tiny little village. He had probably never even been to a medium-sized city. He's from a little village out of nowhere, like Hemet. <laughs> you ever been to Hemet? If not, don't go. It ain't worth going, all right? Also, Nineveh is 550 miles away from where he is. That is a long and expensive Uber ride. <laughs> that's, friend, that's, a, that's a long walk. That's a long camel ride. And Nineveh was the moral enemy of God's people, the Israelites. They hated each other. Hated each other like Chiefs and Raiders fans. I mean, they hated each other. Assyria had conquered the Jews. They had conquered Israel multiple times and massacred and murdered and slaughtered many, many, many Jews. So the Jews hated the Assyrians. And as you're going to see in this book, Jonah's prejudice. Jonah is a nationalist. He is a loyal lover of Israel. He's a committed patriot, and he deeply hates the Assyrians. He hates them so much, he wants nothing to do with them. To give you an idea of what God was asking Jonah to do, it would be like if God spoke to you clearly. You knew it was the Lord. It would be like if God spoke to you today and said, I want you Matt, I want you to leave everything. I want you to sell everything, leave everything, leave your family, and I want you to go to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you to preach the gospel to ISIS. I mean, literally, that, that's, that is exactly, that's, that's not, that is a good parallel. ISIS, you've heard stories about, about ISIS and how much they hate Americans, and especially Christians, and how they persecuted, tortured, publicly beheaded many Christians in Iraq. By the way, Nineveh is located in modern-day Iraq. Nineveh is located in modern-day Mosul. And when ISIS went into Mosul several years ago, they began to destroy all the archaeological evidence of Nineveh, too. So God is asking Jonah to do something huge that's completely outside of his comfort zone. It's contrary to his political perspective. It's con conflicting with his personal prejudices. And it's extremely challenging to his faith. This is a big ask from God that requires a lot of faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. So here's a question for you tonight, men and women. What's your Nineveh? What has God asked you to do that you don't really want to do that you've been dragging your feet or flat out saying no or ignoring that requires you to step out in faith? Maybe it's getting involved in serving in the church. Maybe it's breaking up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend because you know they're not the right person for you. Maybe it's going on a mission trip to another country. Maybe it's forgiving someone who has hurt you deeply. In fact, somebody who's even done evil towards you. And God's calling you to forgive them. You don't want to. Maybe it's pursuing a dream that God has placed in your heart that you've ignored and put on the shelf. Maybe it's just inviting your neighbor to church. Maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody. And you don't want to do it because you're afraid. Number three, when God asks me to do something, it's often to help others. When God asks me to do something, it's often to help others. God was sending Jonah to Nineveh 
to tell them the truth and to give them an opportunity to repent and to turn from their sin and come into relationship with him. Because God loves nations and cities because he loves people. God's heart is for people. He hates evil, he hates injustice, he hates abuse, he hates pain, and he hates sin, but he loves people. And he tells Jonah to deliver the message to them that he's not gonna put up with their wickedness much longer. By the way, God sees all of our own personal wickedness, all of our mistakes, all of our bad choices, and he is extremely patient with us. Somebody ought to say amen right there. You ought to be thankful. The term that the Bible uses, especially in the Old Testament, especially New King James, is long-suffering, and that means exactly how it sounds, that God suffers long. He puts up with you, puts up with me for a long time. In Exodus 34, God describes himself to Moses, and he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Men and women, you have no idea, I have no idea how great God's mercy is towards you. I mean, you might think you know, but you don't really know. He is a merciful God, he is a kind God, he is a long-suffering God. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is extremely patient because he gives everybody, every human being, you might think their life wasn't long enough, God gives every single person an opportunity to respond to his love and his mercy. And he doesn't, but however, he doesn't allow sin to continue indefinitely. His patience will run out and his judgment will come. It comes to individuals, it comes to cities, it comes to nations as well. And he uses people to reach people. And so when God speaks to you, when the word of the Lord comes to you, men and women, oftentimes one of the ways that you know it's God is because he's calling you to help somebody else. He's calling you to reach somebody else because life is all about loving God and loving people. Verse three, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down, everybody say down. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it. Say down. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Number four, when God asks me to do something, I might be afraid. When God asks me to do something, I might be afraid. I just said, Jonah didn't wanna go to Nineveh. He didn't wanna go to the Assyrians because he hated them, but I also think that he didn't wanna go because he was afraid, and you would be too. He probably something like this said something like this to God. Let me get this straight. You want me to go 550 miles east to go preach to the Ninevites who I hate and despise, and when I show up and they realize that I'm a Jew, they're probably gonna kill me in about three seconds. You want me to tell them to repent so they can receive your love and your mercy? I ain't doing that find another prophet. 
Jonah's the original UNLV running rebel, undeserving Ninevites of the Lord's virtue running rebel. Come on, somebody, I made that up. I was pretty proud of that. But Jonah is a rebel with a cause because God has spoken to him. Even though he's refusing to obey God, God spoke to him something big. God gave him a cause. God gave him a mission. God gave him a purpose just like he's given you and I. And you can either embrace it or you can run from it. He's a rebel with the cause. Jonah does what probably you would do, probably what I would do. He runs away in fear. Fear prevents us from moving forward into what God has for our lives. Fear causes us to run away in the opposite direction, to shrink back and run away. By the way, what are you running from in your life? Some of us are running away from our past. Some of us are running away from problems. Some of us are running away from a person. Some of us are running away from the presence of God. What has God asked you to do that you haven't done because you're afraid? That's your Nineveh. What's your Nineveh? This is why I called the message, you can run, but you can't hide. Come on, tell the person next to you, look at somebody and say, you can run, but you can't hide. Tell somebody else, Matt's all over here by himself. Matt, you can run, but you can't hide. Psalm 139 says, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I run from you? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in the grave, you are there. God is omnipresent. There's not anywhere that you and I can go that he's not. Yet sometimes we still run away out of rebellion or out of fear or out of both. So here's section two. If I run from God, if you run from God, if I run from God, there's bad consequences. Number one, if I run from God, my life will go downhill. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. You'll see in the other chapters, that word down is used a lot in Jonah. Because when you run, run from God, men and women, down is the only direction that you can go. <laughs> your life, when you run from God, your life will never get better. It'll always get worse. I've lived long enough now, 43 years on this planet, and unfortunately, I've seen a lot of my own friends, I've seen friends that have run away from God, stopped going to church for whatever their reason is. Every single one of them, their life has got worse. Marriage has got worse, family's got worse, their relationship with God has got worse, or they've just lost it altogether. Number two, if I run from God, it will cost me. If I run from God, it will cost me. Jonah went down to Joppa and found a ship. How convenient. <laughs> just because a ship is available, by the way, doesn't mean that you should get on it. Because if you want to run from God, Satan will always have a ship waiting for you. An old bad habit waiting for you. A bottle waiting for you. A wrong relationship waiting for you. A website waiting for you. A place of temporary escape. But you know you shouldn't be there waiting for you. James 4, 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Theologians call that a sin of omission. When you know what God has called you to do and you refuse to do it, men and women, you're in sin. And you can play now, but you're gonna pay later because sin 
always requires a payment and it's always more money than you have in your pocket. Anytime you run from God, you pay a price. You pay an emotional price. You can pay a physical price in your health. You, play, you pay an, a relational price that affects your marriage and your family. You pay a spiritual price. Come on, am I preaching to anybody? Okay. All right, put the map up on the screen. Look at this. Jonah, to me, this, it is one of the funniest books in the Bible. I mean, there's so many comical things about this. Look at where Jonah is. Jonah goes down to Joppa. And Nineveh is east, 550 miles. Jonah decides to go west to Tarshish, 2,500 miles. That is in the south, southern part of Spain. At that time, that was literally the end of the earth. That was, that was the end of the known world. And Jonah decides he's going to go as far away in the complete opposite direction, which is going to cost more, by the way, going 550 miles or going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Obeying God in faith is a whole lot cheaper than rebelling against God in fear. Verse four, Jonah, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Jonah chapter one, verse four, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Number three, if I run from God, he will oppose me. If I run from God, God himself will oppose me. Maybe the opposition that you're facing in your life right now, the mighty storm that you're in, isn't from the devil. Maybe it's from God. Maybe it's because you're headed in the wrong direction, and God knows what you need more than you do. And God, by the way, men and women, he doesn't oppose you because he's mad at you. He's opposing you because he loves you. My dad, you say, God ain't mad at you, but he is mad about you. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves. If you're a good parent, if you're a good grandparent, then you don't discipline your child or your grandchild out of anger. You discipline them out of love. Billy, it is not okay to punch your sister in the throat. Come on, somebody. You got you to discipline them. If you claim to be a Christian and you know that you are in rebellion against God, running away from him, and God isn't coming after you, you might be someone else's kid. Do I need to say that again? <laughs> because if you know the Lord, when you rebel, God won't leave you alone. He's gonna create a storm and the storm's gonna have your name on it. He's gonna come after you. If you're running away from God, you can expect bad weather in your life. A storm is about to heaven. Listen, if you're in, in, right now, if you're in an immoral, illicit relationship with somebody who is not your spouse, your ship is about to be broken up. And you better repent and turn around and get right with God and get right with your spouse or you're headed into some serious trouble and you're about to lose everything. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you as you are. And if, and if he's just leaving you alone, you ought to be scared because the presence of God has left you. Men and women, you ought to, you ought to go Psalm 51, create in me, 
a clean and pure heart. Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I got nothing if, you're, if I don't have you. All right, let's go back to the story. Jonah chapter one, verse five. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah, listen to this, Jonah had gone down, yeah? He had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He had laid down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on, guess who, Jonah. And then they said to him, please tell us. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? <laughs> They're just like asking them all the questions they can think of. Number four, if I run from God, other people get hurt too. The sailors are terrified they're gonna die. They recognize that there is, listen, these are sailors. These are men who have been on the sea their whole life. They recognize there's something supernatural about this wind, about these waves, about this storm. This ain't a normal storm. Something's going on here. And so they start throwing all their cargo overboard. And by the way, that's what happens when you cause a storm in your life. You throw everything that's valuable in your life away. You get into drug addiction. You get into an adulterous relationship and you just start throwing away everything that's valuable in your life. Relationships, good habits, your connection to the Lord, your connection to church. Jonah's completely asleep. I think he was asleep from stress, from depression, from exhaustion, from anxiety. I think he was just exhausted falls into a deep sleep, and the pagan captain is asking the pastor, is asking the prophet, reminding him, hey, hey buddy, wake up, you better pray. <laughs> so they roll dice, that's what casting lots is, they're superstitious, and of course, God makes sure that, that, that Jonah is the problem. And they realize that everybody's life is being threatened because of Jonah's disobedience. Because sin may be private, but it's never personal. In other words, you might not know the sins in my life, but they're still gonna affect you. Because other people might not know your secret sins, and you might think that you're getting away with the men and women, but you're not. Because they're affecting not only your relationship with God, they're affecting the closest relationships in your life. Your marriage and your kids. And a good question to ask yourself is, who am I hurting with my sin? It might be your spouse, it might be your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, might be your church. Verse nine, so he said to them, so Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's a funny statement just when you think about it. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? And this, this statement here is it's hilarious to me. For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It's like, did he get on the ship and just tell them, I'm running away from God. Take me the farthest, get me as far away from here as you can. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And another translation says the sea was getting rougher all the time. Number five is this, the longer that I run from God, the worse it gets. 
how long, how much, how, how long do you have to run from God? How far do you have to run from God? How much worse do things have to get in your life before you stop running from God? How much worse do things have to get in your marriage for God to get your attention? How much worse do they have to get in your finances? How much worse do they have to get in your health? How much worse do they have to get in your depression before you realize this ain't working? And maybe instead of running away from God, I ought to run towards God. <laughs> because I'm running my own life right now and this storm is just getting worse by the minute. How do I stop the storm in my life? Men and women, it's, it's simple, complete and total surrender to Jesus. You surrender every part of your life to him. You stop running, you stop rebelling, you stop resisting, and you surrender. And you say, God, all right, you're in charge. You're in charge. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Verse 12, and he said to them, Jonah said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. In other words, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Some, some people think that Jonah was being unselfish here, that he was you know, throwing himself on the, on the grace of God, that he was thinking about the sailors and, and other people once and for all. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that. I actually think the opposite. I actually think that Jonah was still being selfish. And I think that Jonah was so rebellious and so disobedient and hated the Ninevites so much, he, he said, I'd rather die than obey God. Just throw me over where I wanna die anyways. That's my opinion. You could, you could come to your own conclusion. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Number six, if I run from God, trying harder doesn't work. If you're running from God, trying harder doesn't work. You're fighting a losing battle. Your arms are far too short to box with God. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God wants to save you from sin and hell in every part of your life, but you have to allow him, you have to surrender to him. And you can't do it on your own. Everybody take a deep breath. That's all the negative part of the story. Let me finish here with good news, with hope, all right? Because when you do what God asks, God does miracles. Verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. When I do what God wants, number one, things will calm down. When you obey, when you come back, when you do what God has asked you to do, when you do what God wants, things will calm down. They had been crying out to their false gods and nothing had happened. And finally they turned to the one true living God, Jonah's God, and it all changes. If there's a storm in your life right now, it's for God's purpose. God's, God's purpose is always greater than your storm and your problem. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, because God's ways are always better. God's ways are always better. When you do what God wants, when you choose to live God's way, the storms that you have created will begin to calm down in your life. Verse 16, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Number two, when I do what God wants, unbelievers believe. When I do what God wants, unbelievers believe. This supernatural storm comes to a immediate supernatural conclusion and end, and the pagan sailors are in absolute awe. I mean, they, they are absolutely amazed. They pray and God immediately answers. In fact, to use New Testament language, they all get saved. Every single one of them, get, they surrender their lives to God. They start worshiping him. Men and women, people are watching us. People are watching you. I think my mom said it last week, Pastor Sherry, you might be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. They are watching, they are watching how you handle storms in your life. You might have a spouse who doesn't know the Lord. You might have a parent or, or child or a grandchild, a family member, a coworker, or a neighbor. Maybe the reason that they haven't yet come to Christ is because you haven't stepped out in faith and, and did what God has asked you to do. Maybe on the other side of your obedience is the miracle of their salvation. The greatest miracle of all, by the way, is salvation. It is the greatest and by far the most important miracle of all. Listen, the fact that all of these sailors turned turn to the Lord tells us something powerful about God. Even in our rebellion, even in our mistakes, even in our selfishness, even in our fear, God can still use all of it to do his work. He can take your mess, men and women, and he can use it for his glory. It's called redemption. And so you're never too far from God, no matter what you've done or no matter what you're doing right now. Let's read the last verse, verse 17 together. Let's put it up on the screen. Ready, go. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Number three, here's the last point. Last of my 43 points I gave you tonight. Number three, when I do what God wants, God shows me mercy. When I do what God wants, God shows me mercy. Now, some people get hung up on this part of the story, so let me take a moment and talk about it, all right? Since we're talking about Jonah the next couple of weeks. The word prepared the word prepared that we just read in that verse in the Hebrew is manat, M-A-N-A, and it means assigned or appointed or custom made or provided or ordained. <laughs> we ordain people to be pastors. God ordained a great fish to swallow Jonah. <laughs> the word, by the word, the word uh, whale is not used in this story. I know everybody says Jonah and the whale. The word whale is not used in this story. It's used... Uh, in other parts of the Bible, but not here. A whale's not a fish. A whale's a mammal. God could have used a whale if he wanted to. He could have used any kind of sea creature he, he wanted to. If you really believe that God created the universe, which I do, and I don't have a hard time believing that at all, then you, you should have no problem believing that God created a custom-made giant fish with air conditioning and Wi-Fi. 
Come on, that's a joke, somebody. You guys are, ha-ha. Listen, if you, if you really believe that God can raise the dead, then you shouldn't have a hard time believing that God can create an animal to swallow him and give him free room and board for three nights and three days. Listen, some scientists actually believe that <clears throat> the largest fish in the ocean could have done this, which is called a whale shark. I'm gonna sound like a SeaWorld wildlife expert here for a moment, but there's a picture. There's a picture of a whale shark. It's in the shark family, but because of, it's so big because of its size, it's as big as a whale, they call it a whale shark. There's some pictures that you can see. They swim extremely slow, about three miles an hour, and they are friendly, they're docile, they're gentle giants. Divers can grab onto their fins and hitch a free ride. They're, they're totally harmless. And they're filter feeders, meaning that they don't chew or tear up their prey. As you can see, the fish going in there, they just swallow them. They swallow them whole. They swim with their mouth open. They are the largest, the largest fish in the ocean. Imagine that. That was like what Jonah saw right before he got swallowed, something like that probably. Go to the last picture here. This gives you an idea. They can easily be 40 feet long, which is the size of an 80-passenger school bus, all right? So just to give you some sense, did God send a whale shark to swallow Jonah? I don't know, maybe he did. The point is not what kind of giant fish that God prepared. The point is that God did an incredible miracle because he loved Jonah and he wanted to show Jonah his mercy because he had called Jonah to go tell others about his love and his mercy, and apparently Jonah needed to experience it himself a little bit more first. Psalm 85, verse seven, show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. And may, listen to this, May they not turn back to foolishness. <laughs> That's a good passage for the, for the Jonah story. When you stop running from God, when you do what he has asked you to do, he'll do a miracle in your life because of his love and his mercy towards you. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's a simple definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Jonah was a rebel. He didn't deserve to be rescued. He didn't deserve to be saved by a supernatural fish. He, I think he didn't even want to be. <laughs> but God did it anyway. And you and I, we don't deserve to be saved from our sin. But God did it anyway. In fact, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. This is another reason. In fact, this probably for me would be the main reason that I believe that the story of Jonah is a literal, historical, factual story. I have no problem believing that at all. Because listen to the words of Jesus right here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, which is a title that Jesus often used for himself, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah rebelled and ran away from God. Jesus obeyed and was sent by God. Jonah didn't want his enemies to be saved. Jesus wants all people to be saved. Jonah should have died because of his sin. 
Jesus died because of our sin. God prepared a fish to save Jonah. God prepared a cross to save you and I. Jonah was put in a watery tomb for three days and three nights because of God's mercy for him. Jesus was put in a stone tomb for three days and three nights because of God's mercy for us. First Peter says, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen. You can run, but you can't hide. Surely his goodness and his mercy, his love, men and women, it will pursue you. You can run in the opposite direction, but you're not gonna get away. He will come after you, and he will send any storm and any fish to get your attention because he loves you that much. And some of you have been running away from God for far too long, <laughs> and you've created a storm, and you've created a mess, and it's getting worse. It's time for you to stop running away from God. You need to run towards him. You need salvation. Close your eyes, bow your heads if you would, and maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're watching online. You're not in relationship with God. You've been running away. You've been doing your own thing. You've lived a selfish, selfish life. Maybe you prayed a prayer once in church, but you've walked away or you've run away. You wanna come back to the Lord tonight. As I said a few minutes ago, God isn't mad at you, but he is mad about you. He loves you. He's merciful, men and women. He wants to give you what you and I don't deserve, what we can't earn. His love and his grace, his forgiveness. Give you abundant and eternal life. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've, you've been in rebellion. You're backslidden. That's the word the Bible uses. You need to come back to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity tonight. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed. If you're watching online, just give you privacy. But... Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day. You're the person. If you'll make the choice, God will make the change in your life. But you have to surrender. You have to surrender. Nobody can do that for you. If that's you on the count of three, you say, John, I, that's me. I'm gonna, I need to come, come to the Lord tonight. I need to surrender my life to him. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Forgiven you all your sins, shed his blood on the cross for you, rose from the dead, give you abundant and eternal life. If that's you on the count of three, would you look at me and raise your hand? I'll pray for you. One, two, three. Lift your hand, hold it high till I can see you. Make eye contact with me. I see you, ma'am. Yep, I've met you before too. I'm glad you're here. Anybody else here tonight? Anybody else? It's so good. Would you look at me one more time, ma'am? Yep. Bible says Luke 15. You can go back and Read it on your own. One sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here tonight. I'm so glad you're here. I want to. I want to lead us all in a in a prayer of salvation, in support of our friend tonight. Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So let's all repeat this prayer. This is our friend tonight. But let's all repeat this prayer out loud together and say just a phrase at a time. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all my sin. Right now, I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I don't want to run away. I want to walk with you. Make me a new person. 
Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714-255-0930.